grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from the risen Lord Jesus. Amen. The story is told that years ago, a San Diego bank hired a private investigator to track down a bank robber and get back the stolen cash. And the investigator tracked the man across the border to Mexico. Realizing that he would need help since he didn't speak the language, the investigator hired a translator. After a diligent search and some clever detective work, the thief was located and the investigator confronted him. Through the interpreter, the investigator asked him, where did you hide the money? In Spanish, the man replied, I have no idea what you're talking about. With that, the investigator drew his pistol and pointed it at the man. He told his interpreter, tell him that if he doesn't tell me where the money is, I'll shoot him where he stands. Hearing the translation, the thief said to the interpreter in Spanish, Senor, I have hidden the money in a coffee can under the fourth floorboard in the second floor men's room of the Palacio Hotel on Via del Rio in La Paz. What did he say? The investigator asked the interpreter. Senor, said the interpreter as he thought for a moment, he says he is prepared to die like a man. Now, we may laugh at this joke, but we know that death is never a laughing matter. We fear death. We've certainly seen to what extent that fear of death will take us, as we've all been witnesses to the world shutting down to try to prevent it. We pin our hopes of avoiding death from any source on the development of vaccines or on improved technology, in surgical procedures, higher safety standards for cars, etc. We even pour our resources into finding ways not to grow old. The world is expected to spend around $200 billion in the anti-aging industry whether that's topical creams or medications or elective surgeries. In one recent study, scientists were able to extend the life of certain worms by 45%. That's really something, although my first reaction was, great, all we need is to increase the population of worms because they won't die. Now, if you could get the worms to entice fish onto a hook, that would really be something. If I mention the fountain of youth, you probably know what I'm talking about. You might even connect Ponce de Leon with the legend of one existing in the New World. Of course, it's all myth, no matter what El Dorado Natural Spring Water Bottling Company tells you. Of course, there was a sort of fountain of youth once. It's even in the Bible. Let me begin with Paul's words in his epistle to the Romans. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. There was at one time that tree of life in the Garden of Eden. 
But through Adam, sin entered the world, and, and death, as the wages of sin, came to all of us. Death that was the slow decay of our physical bodies, but also the immediate spiritual death. Death of the image of God that man had been created with. Death came as a complete and total spiritual separation from the Holy Creator. And remember what God did after Adam and Eve had sinned. He, he barred the way to the tree of life with cherubim and a flaming sword. God did not want Adam and Eve to eat of the tree of life and live forever as sinners who were dead spiritually, separated forever from him. God had another way to bring Adam and Eve and their sinful offspring back to himself, not as sinners, but as his holy and perfect children. And this is what Paul is writing about in Romans 5. He says that many died because of sin, but that God's grace through his Son, Jesus Christ, has made many alive. Jesus Christ is the key. God's Son took the sins of each one of us into himself. God accounted our sins to Christ, and as Jesus died on the cross, so did our sins. Our sins, the Bible says, were removed from us as far as the east is from the west. Why did Jesus do it? He didn't have to. It was our own doing. God warned Adam, don't eat from that tree, Adam. Okay, but I think I'll just try it anyway. Never mind that my creator told me not to. Never mind that this is the one thing I've been told not to do. I'm going to do it anyway. Oh, did I do something wrong? It was Adam's own fault, and it's our fault too. We were born sinful. That's why we continue to sin every day. We can't escape our sinful flesh. We're weak. Sometimes just the thought of sinning will lead to it. We don't have to work at being sinners. We just are. Our flesh being sinful makes us enemies of God. Paul says that our sinful flesh is hostile to God. Not indifferent. Not intolerant. Hostile. Our corrupted flesh doesn't even like God. Thankfully, though, God loves us. Maybe you're familiar with the Rambo series of movies. It's about a soldier, John Rambo, who is very specially trained. He's the one man who can always be counted on to get into enemy territory, get really beat up, but but somehow managed to get the mission done by rescuing the prisoner or the hostages that are too weak to help themselves and then somehow get out alive, bringing each one out safe. Rambo does the impossible. 
if you'll forgive the analogy, Jesus is our Rambo, except that he dies first, then he gets out alive. Jesus willingly goes into enemy territory to save those too weak to save themselves. He enters as one of us into Satan's territory, into the devil's kingdom, to rescue us who are so weak that we cannot help ourselves. But listen again to Paul's description of the ones Jesus came to save. First he says, while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Then he says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then finally, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. First of all, Paul says we were weak and ungodly, unable to obey God's will, unable to keep the commandments. We didn't have the strength to make ourselves holy. But then he goes on to say that we were sinners when Christ Jesus came for us. Although we knew what was right and good, we actively decided to choose what was wrong and evil. And while we were still sinners, Christ came and died for us. But then he makes that final point. We weren't just weak or ungodly. We can't just chalk our condition up to being sinners. We were actually enemies of God when he sent Jesus to rescue us. Wait a minute. What did you say, Pastor? Does Paul really say that? That we were actually enemies of God? Haters of God when Jesus came to save us? Yes, that's right. That's what it means that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Spiritually dead. Our spirits were not alive to God, but were actively hostile to Him. We can't really make a movie like that. John Rambo goes behind enemy lines and saves some of the people who are trying to kill him. I think the screenplay would be pretty weird. And if he was smart, Sylvester Stallone would refuse the part. That's one great difference between the Gospel and the Rambo movies. Okay, there are like 50,000 differences, but that's a huge one. Our Savior comes to save His enemies, to reconcile us to the Father, to take our sinfulness, our ungodliness, our fleshly hatred of God into Himself and put it all to death on the cross. Rambo always bleeds a little. He wouldn't have to, but it makes a better movie if he gets hurt just enough to make it hard for him to do the job. But Jesus Christ, he bleeds a lot. He sheds his blood throughout his suffering in payment for our sins. Jesus' blood was required in order to cover our weakness, to cover even our flesh's hatred for God. Jesus' blood was an atoning sacrifice. The Savior suffered what you and I should have suffered. The death he died was the death that we should by rights have died. 
because we deserved it, as those who have transgressed God's law, as even the enemies of God. God wanted you to be rescued from Satan's kingdom. He wanted you to be rescued from that death. He wanted to undo death for us, undo and put to death that spiritual separation from himself. He wanted you to be in his kingdom, to be safe within his embrace. When Jesus, in our gospel lesson, sees the crowds, the weak sinners, Matthew says he had compassion on them. He feels for them. He's deeply moved by his great love for them because the people are like sheep without a shepherd. A sheep without a shepherd is lost and will never find its way home. A sheep without a shepherd is at the mercy of the wolves. A sheep without a shepherd will soon die. God shows his great love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Remember that teacher that you had in elementary school? There were times when the class was going to go out and do something fun, like maybe go to recess or something like that, and the class would be really excited and, and a little unruly, but your teacher would wait until everyone had settled down, until all the rows of desks were in order and the trash was picked up from the floor and, and everyone was sitting up nicely in their seats. And then, and only then, would the teacher say, okay, you may line up. And the class would jump up excitedly and line up at the door. Well, God didn't wait until we'd cleaned up our act. He didn't ask us to get our ducks in a row and clean up the trash in our lives before he gave us faith to believe. He doesn't put demands or requirements on who can and who can't receive his gift of salvation. Christ came for sinners. He came to reconcile wayward and lost sheep. I was at a doxology retreat for pastors this past week in Schuyler, Nebraska. On Tuesday afternoon, the sky had turned really dark, and it poured torrential rains, and, and the wind had blown, and the water on the small lake out back had had whitecaps on it. That evening, we gathered in the chapel for worship, and we could hear the rain begin again to pelt the roof. And the rain came down heavier, and the wind picked up, and the wind got louder and louder. And several of us said afterward that we would not have been surprised at all if a tornado had taken the roof off the chapel. But the candles around the room and at the altar, they never flickered. And in the midst of the noise and the storm outside, 
we read Holy Scripture and we sang hymns of praise and we said prayers to God and we received his blessing. And then with the storm still raging outside, we left the chapel in peace. In the midst of this life, as Satan and the raging powers of darkness howl around us, as the trials and the troubles of a broken humanity try to divert our attention, the message of the gospel remains. The word remains. While we were still weak, Christ died for the ungodly. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were enemies of God, while we were part of the kingdom of darkness, God reconciled us to himself by the death of his Son. And his cross has become for us a tree of life. God's love for you is everlasting, steadfast. God's love has made you his child. God's love offers you a hope beyond anything in this life. God's love, embodied in Christ Jesus, brings a peace that passes all earthly understanding a peace that will carry you through the storms of this life and into the life to come. In the name of Jesus, amen. That peace of God which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus until he returns to take us to himself. Amen.